Welcome to Running Up the Score. I am Alex Kennedy. This is my show that airs every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. I'm joined by a variety of guests to talk about all sports. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. He is an author. His first book, Life in the G, is out now. It's a fantastic look at life in the NBA G League. He shadowed the Birmingham Squadron for an entire season. It is a must read. My guest is Alex Squadron. Alex, how are you? Good, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I think this idea is so cool. Um, I'm a big fan of any kind of book or article that takes people behind the scenes and kind of gives them access that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to have. How did this idea first come together for you? Yeah, I think the inspiration was really, you know, I was working for Slam Magazine, so I was covering basketball. I've been a fan of basketball my whole life. And uh, I've always just been kind of surprised at how little attention is paid to the G League, um, especially like now when it's such a huge, you know, part of, an NBA team's kind of operation. They're just constantly sending guys down, calling guys up. Uh, and there's all these books about, you know, minor league baseball and, you know, that kind of uh, experience is sort of romanticized in a way, you know, following guys kind of chasing their dreams. And, you know, obviously these guys are making, you know, less than 40,000 compared to the, you know, million dollar contracts that NBA players sign. So um, I was just surprised at how little coverage it got. And, uh, kind of saw an opportunity to, you know, be the first one to shed a light on it. And um, yeah, I mean, we were speaking briefly before about just like the level of access and, and stuff like that. And I knew uh, having worked a little bit with the G League before that the access I could get would probably be a lot better than, um, you know, the access you get to, to NBA locker rooms. So that was a, another piece as well. Um, and then, you know, I think just as a writer, I've always been drawn to like the stories of the underdogs as opposed to, you know, the guys who, um, are kind of in the limelight, the superstars, like these are the guys who are really grinding to, you know, pursue their dreams. And I think that there's something uh, really compelling in that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, really inspirational. So I think those were the two kind of driving forces. Yeah, I think a project like this has to have, you have to have that access, otherwise you wouldn't be able to really do it or at least go as in depth as you really want to. So what was the pro uh, the process of kind of finding a team that would allow you to follow them? Was it always the squadron? I mean, it worked out perfectly that it's your last name too. That's kind of perfect. But <laughs> right, was right, it always yeah. the squadron or were you talking to multiple different teams and having to find one that would give you access? Like what went into that part of it? Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess just to start, like I kind of felt like in order to, you know, properly kind of capture the G League experience and life in the G, I had to really be embedded with the team. I mean, for me to just kind of, interview players and coaches from afar, I just felt like I wouldn't get, um, you know, the true kind of experience. So once I decided that, all right, I need to be embedded with a team, I need them to kind of be on board with me, uh, you know, shadowing them for the entire season. I just, you know, made a list of all the teams. And when one of the teams is literally your last name, you know, it's kind of the one that just stands out. So uh, I kind of just was, I mean, it also happened to be their first season uh, in Birmingham. Right. But, uh, so that was like another angle, but um, I'd be lying if I, I said it wasn't, you know, the main thing that really drew me to it initially. Uh, and so I reached out to them and I had certainly a list of, you know, backup options. There were teams that also appealed to me for other reasons. Uh, I considered Sioux Falls, uh, the Sky Force. Um, they've been around forever and um, really like a, a staple of that community. Um, so I had a, a kind of list of teams and I reached out to Birmingham, not that long before the season, it kind of came together a little, uh, you know, impulsively, I would say. And <laughs> I just lucked out. I mean, they were so on board. I, I think it's, you know, it speaks to how little attention is paid to it, that they were, 
um, you know, just excited about the idea and, and eager to, to give me kind of the access that I needed to, to write the book. So, um, a huge shout out to them and, uh, yeah, it, it really worked out just, um, you know, everything coming together in a couple of weeks there. So I've done, we mentioned before, I mean, I've done some of these behind the scenes type pieces, but usually I was spending like a week with someone, you know, I would spend a week with assistant coaches and kind of get a feel for their life. Or one time I went to Indiana and spent like a week behind the scenes with the Pacers and saw their facilities and met with, you know, the whole front office and the players and coaches and all that. But for a whole season is a, is a different look. I mean, that's really intensive. And I'm curious, what are some of the biggest things that you learned or your biggest takeaways from being around for a full season? Because when I'm there for a week, I always came away like, oh my God, this is crazy. You know, there's so many things that fans don't think about in just a, right. a, a week's time, but in the season's time, I mean, there had to be so many things that you learned. Yeah. I mean, the list is <laughs> crazy. Um, I should say first that I, and I was texting with you yesterday, like I, I read so many of your stories when I was reporting for the book and all that behind the scenes stuff uh, was super helpful that. for me. And um, yeah, I'm just a huge fan of your work. So um, I appreciate you. you because that stuff really helped me. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the stuff I learned, I mean, you kind of, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, you kind of realize when you're around them for even a week or a couple of days that people really don't know anything. Um, you know, if you're standing in a, like a locker room for a film session it and you follow basketball or you're right about basketball, it still will seem like a different language to you. I mean, it, it truly yeah. is like the level of detail. Um, you know, I just think it, it's all kind of underappreciated how much goes into it. Uh, I guess to pinpoint one thing that really surprised me, um, I think just like the guys that that end up getting called up, you know, I think there's a, a big misconception that, uh, especially among fans that like, you know, the players who put up big numbers in the G League or kind of the stars of the G League. So the guys who, um, you know, are, are running the offense, running X amount of pick and rolls, averaging 25 plus points per game. Uh, are the guys that are kind of the no-brainers for for NBA teams to call up. And it's actually like, uh, in many ways, like those are not the guys that get called up because, um, you know, NBA teams aren't looking for ball-dominant, you know, isolation players because they have guys who who do that already. Uh, so they're looking for guys who do the little things, like, you know, knock down all their threes. Jose Alvarado is a great example. Picks up 94 feet, uh, always yep. bringing energy and hustling. Um, you know, you just look at the guys who have made it from the G League. It's the Alex Caruso's, the Gary Payton's, the, um, you know, Danny Green's, like the guys who who do the little things, who, um, you know, are great teammates, always bring energy. Uh, and, um, you know, in many cases, just don't make mistakes because uh, I think that the margin is so thin and there's so many players competing for, um, you know, such a small amount of spots that if you make, mistakes too like that that's enough to kind of cross you off a list so um just uh and that messaging is pretty like clear from day one of training camp in the g league it's like you want to get called up play defense um you know know all of the plays be a, a positive presence in the locker room um and uh yeah like if you go to the NBA, you're kind of never going to be the man again. Those days are kind of over. Your path is through a very, very specific role. And uh, the guys who are willing to buy into those roles are, are the ones who make it. 
yeah, show that you can fill a role and basically not get in the way and uh, right. that your game can translate, uh, you know, into playing eight, nine minutes a night and making the most of those minutes. Um, exactly, it's yeah. so interesting. The players that, you know, are in the G League, they, they're typically turning down bigger offers from overseas. Like they could go make a couple million dollars overseas. But instead, to your point, some of them are playing for less than 40, 50K because they're chasing that NBA dream. People also don't realize that like the travel in the G League is different. You know, they're not staying at bougie hotels all the time and private jets and things like that. It's, you know, right. buses and, you know, not the nicest hotels at times. And it's, there, there's a lot of things like that. There's a lot of sacrifices these players are making. And some of them have been in the NBA. So they've seen that lifestyle and lived that before and then took a step back and are making way less money and are trying to chase that again. Um, I think those are some of the biggest misconceptions that I've seen when you think, you know, fans think of the G League and they think, okay, yeah, those guys are basically NBA players, but it is a very different lifestyle than what NBA guys are living. Can you kind of speak to some of the misconceptions about the G League that maybe fans have? For sure. I mean, the, the idea is that it's one step away from the NBA is pretty crazy because when you, and I, you know, I don't want to spoil it too much about the book, but when, you see guys make that transition, you know, guys I was following did get called up from the G league to the NBA, you know, it is one step away, but it, it feels like a totally different world. I mean, it's just the comparison is, is crazy. I mean, yeah. These guys are flying commercial. Um, you know, I, I travel with them. So you see six, eight guys who are about to play, you know, one of the biggest games of their life in front of, you know, countless scouts sitting in a middle seat, uh, on like a <laughs> Southwest flight to, you know, the middle of nowhere. So, um, that's very real. I mean, people certainly have that, like, like, Oh, minor leagues, like they're grinding, but that grind is, is definitely real. And, uh, I think would surprise most people. I mean, yeah, they, they, like you said, make less than 40, 50 K, uh, fly commercial. They're staying in not nice hotels. Um, and, uh, the pressure is just <laughs> incredible because I mean, I spoke to her earlier, but just, um, you know, the, the idea that you can't really afford to make mistakes. Uh, that's not just on the court. That's off the court too. That's in things like your diet, your work habits, um, you know, just all the things that, that kind of go into how a scout might assess you. So I do think there's a big misconception about one, like you said, just what the experience is like and life in the G compared to, uh, the glitz and glamor of the NBA. And then, um, just how much stress and pressure these guys are on under to perform, um, you know, for that six, seven month, season you know in every facet of kind of life not just basketball so uh yeah i think that people don't really hopefully the, the book captures really um you know what life is like and, and how intense that experience can be who are some people that ended up becoming kind of main characters of the book either players or coaches you know people that you spent a lot of time around and maybe you know you kind of focus on their story more than others who are some of the main characters yeah so i i went down there um, you know, knowing that I wanted to focus on just a couple characters to, uh, you know, it would be just too tough to kind of focus on all of their storylines, but also the, the kind of compelling thing about the G league is that everyone's got a very unique story. And so I knew that there would be, uh, you know, unique, uh, individuals and players who came from, uh, different circumstances and had a totally different journey. So, um, you know, by the time I, the season gets going, I kind of was able to narrow it down to four guys. Um, one is Jared Harper, who fans might remember from uh, when he led Auburn to the final four. Uh, and his story is kind of incredibly talented player, but he's very undersized. You know, he's like listed at 5'10 um, and was one of the, you know, shortest players in his, 
draft class. So um, he's kind of the incredibly talented guard who has always been overlooked because of his size. Um, there's Joe Young, who I know uh, you wrote a story on as well. Uh, and his story is kind of the NBA player who was always, you know, very highly regarded, was a star in college, um, got drafted to the Pacers, spent three years there and kind of made a bunch of mistakes that, um, you know, in hindsight, he really regrets that caused him to kind of fall out of the NBA. Uh, and he had gone briefly overseas and now was uh, deciding to to chase the NBA again and, and try to um, kind of rewrite his narrative in a way, um, you know kind of changed the, the perception of him in NBA circles. Uh, then there was Zylan Cheatham, who's actually on the cover. And um, the way I describe Zylan's story is just, he's kind of faced every obstacle you can imagine. Um, you know, he didn't pick up basketball until uh, eighth grade. And, um, you know, he's this incredibly charismatic guy and, um, you know, really talented, really athletic, and just all of these hurdles keep popping up on his journey. Um, you know, a lot of them out of his control. Uh, which is just kind of the case for a lot of G League players. So I feel like he has kind of a, a real um, a real G League story in a lot of ways. And then the last guy is Malcolm Hill. And he was just this, you know, he was a star at Illinois when he was in college, but became this kind of obscure prospect, didn't get drafted, went overseas for several years uh, and kind of fell off the radar. I mean, he before he went to the G League, he was in Israel, not even playing uh, in Israel. So uh, the idea that that he could, you know, go to the G League and make the NBA seemed kind of preposterous to a lot of people. But um, he puts together this kind of thorough plan of how he's going to get there through the G League. Um, and he's this just really intense guy who, um, you know, is willing to do anything to achieve his dream. So uh, those are the four guys. And then uh, the last one I'll mention is I know, you know, Ryan Pannone. He was the head coach of the team. And uh, I mean, if you know Ryan Pannone, it's impossible to be around him and not, you know, want to focus on him. He's just like yeah. the most... Uh, outgoing and, uh, you know, personable and um, just a really smart basketball mind and great coach. So uh, he, you know, turned into a main character as well. Yeah, Ryan's awesome. I've known him since I was like 17, 18 years old. Uh, one of my first jobs in journalism, he was like really good friends with my my former boss, Steve Kyler. And so I got to know him and he was one of like the first coaches that I really met uh, you know, so I've seen his career kind of from the start to where it is now. And it's been awesome. I mean, to your point, he's not only a great basketball mind who I think eventually will be coaching in the NBA and, and, you know, like a head coach in the NBA. I think he's that talented. He's also just like so charismatic, such a great personality, such a funny guy. Totally. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I was excited too. Whenever I saw this book that you were, you know, focusing on the squadron, cause it's cool to actually know one of the main characters involved and be able to kind of hear his story or, or see his story played out on the pages. So He's uh he's awesome. I'm excited that you uh you were able to work him into the story too. Yeah, he's like uh the way I described him in the book, he, he's very much like a Ted Lasso like figure. Yes. <laughs> um, it's just like the energy that he brings, and he's very funny. Um, and you know, I think also another overlooked aspect of the G League is that everybody, not just the players, is trying to get to the NBA. The coaches, yeah. obviously, um, but it goes way further than that. I mean, equipment, the refs managers, even the yeah. ref. Uh, announcers. I talk to announcers like they're they're like, yeah, this is my next step to the NBA. So it is kind of this like one big family, uh, and everyone says the G League is the place that nobody wants to be because everybody has that goal of getting to the NBA. It's not like anyone's in the G League and content to just be there. Right? Um, they all have that that bigger goal of getting to the NBA. Well, speaking of Ted Lasso, I was about to ask you. There's a Trent Krim question here. Uh, how quickly did the players kind of accept you? You know, did you get any uh, Roy Kent uh, 
workshop <laughs> sessions. Uh, what was that like? You know, was that something that you had to basically win them over or from day one? I mean, it is a little bit easier in the G League because again, they are looking for exposure and they want their stories told. Right. But what was it like for you kind of trying to go behind the scenes and, and be in the locker room and and kind of you're in their 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 inner sanctuary a bit. What was that like? Right. Yeah, and, and this was uh, completely new to me. I mean, I have obviously been in NBA locker rooms and, um, you know, written a bunch of stories and covered the NBA, but to be like, you know, essentially on the team and with the team, like it just was all new territory for me. So a lot of it was just feeling it out and, and trying to figure it out as I go. Um, I think the first thing is that I, I've been told that when I first arrived, cause there was, you know, a little introduction, but not anything like thorough, um, mm. was, uh, like because of my last name, there was definitely a, a like misconception that I was somehow like the owner's son. Owner's like, son. <laughs> yeah, just like kind of hanging around like I had, uh, and then was writing a book about- Mr. Squadron's here. Yeah, exactly. Don't upset I, like, daddy. <laughs> which is crazy. Like, That's that funny. I basically, my family had bought the team so that I could write a book about it or something <laughs> like that. Um, so once that was, once they realized that was not the case. Um, and, and I kind of had this approach of like, you know, I, I knew I had this full season to get to know them and, and I wasn't going to just like come out the gate asking hard questions and, yeah. um, you know, getting to kind of the heart of what I wanted to get to. Cause I had six months to do that. So, um, I spent the first like, you know, month or two, just getting to know these guys, like talking to them after practice, um, you know, letting them know as well that like, uh, in kind of a, a different way, I was chasing my own dream of, of writing a book and, uh, was willing to kind of go through the grind with them and was there practice every day, was at film every day. And uh, so I think that that helped them to open up a little bit and at least kind of, uh, you know, I think my passion, they could kind of relate to that in, in their own way to, to what they were chasing. So, um, and then I just, I think I also just got lucky because the guys I was with were so great. And um, yeah, just, I think their eagerness to, to share their stories and, um, you know, spread the word about the G League. And uh, yeah, I think all of that kind of combined to, to make my life a little bit easier. So um, certainly as the season goes on, you start to build trust with players and then you can ask kind of the, the harder, you know, deeper questions that you want to get to. And um, by the time, you know, February rolled around, like, you know, these guys definitely trusted me and the four guys that I was focusing on specifically, I had talked to their family, their friends, former coaches, um, and so they kind of got the idea that I, you know, was spotlighting them and, um, by then we're, we're open to it. So, uh, yeah, again, huge thank you to, to them and to everybody within the squadron organization, because, um, I, I do really feel like I got lucky that, you know, I was following them. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor prize picks. If you haven't tried daily fantasy sports on prize picks, you're missing out. You pick two to six players and whether they'll score more or less points than their prize pick projection. If you're right, you win big. You can win 25 times your money on any entry. At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people, which might include experts and sharks. It's just you versus the projections. Prize Picks offers projections on virtually every sport NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, and more. You can mix and match players from different sports. So you could have Steph Curry and Patrick Mahomes in the same entry, for example. If you download prize picks today and use the promo code running, they'll double your deposit up to $100. 
That is the promo code running, and they will match your deposit up to $100. It takes 30 seconds or less to build a lineup. To show you how easy it is, I'm going to build an entry right now. All right, we're on prize picks. I like Chris Godwin this week to go more than 48.5 receiving yards. He didn't have a catch last week, and there's been a lot of talk about you know his involvement. Everyone in the organization is saying they need to get Chris Godwin more involved, from the coaching staff to Baker Mayfield. And if you look back throughout his career, a lot of the biggest games he's had has been against this Falcons team. Uh, earlier this year when they played the Falcons, he had 12 targets. So I think they're going to throw to him quite a bit. Uh, so I like Chris Godwin to have a big bounce back game here. And then I'm also going to go Nico Collins. The Tank Dell injury is obviously devastating. You know, I've been a big fan of Tank Dell on this show, but with him out, there's going to be so many targets for Nico Collins. Uh, 70.5 receiving yards. Let's go more than 70.5. We're going to do $20 entry. Just like that, we are entered. Good to go. Thank you to PrizePix for sponsoring this episode. Use that promo code RUNNING and they will double your first deposit up to $100. That is the promo code RUNNING. Let's get back to the episode. You mentioned going to practice and film study and traveling with them on the plane and things like that. You know, do you have a new respect for kind of what players deal with off the floor too? Because not only is it showing up for games and being able to compete at that high level, but, you know, the travel and everything that kind of goes into being a, a NBA player and a G League player, you know, like I think my first time I kind of realized that was when I started doing some more traveling like on the road and you're like, man, they have another game tomorrow and then two days from now and then three days from now. Like it's pretty crazy. You think about it, like the travel alone is kind of a full time job. Uh, and then you have to be able to and, and I'm sitting there just writing articles and I'm exhausted. I'm like, I can't even imagine going out there and competing at this high level and then having to do it again the next night. Like the travel is very intensive now that you've kind of been through it and and seen firsthand what that's like. Do you have a new respect for kind of what guys deal with off the floor? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, it, like I had the exact same experience as you where like, you know, we're getting up early for flights or like, um, you know, connecting. A lot of times you have to take connections. Birmingham doesn't fly everywhere. Uh, yeah. And I'm like sitting there like exhausted, like, like, you know, want to complain about this whole experience. And these guys have to play in front of NBA scouts in less than 24 hours in a game that could determine whether or not, you know, they sign million dollar contracts. So it's like, uh, you can't help it as you're going through the season, have this kind of new respect and appreciation for all that goes into it. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's like much deeper than that. I think it's also an appreciation for all the things that guys do um, to try to stand out or to earn those contracts. I mean, I think uh, a really good example is I, I talked about Jose Alvarado earlier, but him, Patrick Beverly, you know, I think that there's a, a tendency for fans to be like all these things that they're doing, um, you know, Beverly and Alvarado being kind of the pest on defense and uh, constantly getting under guys' skin and, you know, playing hard all the time, uh, you know, you can kind of be like, this guy's so annoying. Like, I can't believe he, he's doing all this. And then you realize, you know, the longer you're following a team or especially teams in the G league that they're doing that because that's how they, you know, that's how they earn their living. That's how they, yeah. uh, that's how they get contracts in the NBA. And, um, you know, I can now watch a game and, and spot those things in ways that I, you know, never really could before. Um, you know, even like guys who stand in the corner and, and are averaging, you know, a PJ Tucker type who does, you know, only shoots when he's a wide open three and just crashes the offensive boards and stuff like that. You know, I think fans might say, what is this guy doing? Why is he in the game? You know, now I think I can, I understand all the things that he's doing and, and why he's such a valuable piece to whatever team he's on. So, um, you know, I could speak forever about just kind of all the things that, that these guys have to do. I mean, I spoke earlier a little bit about like nutrition. I mean, they'll tell guys like, 
don't be caught walking around at these G League games or at, you know, G League events or any event where a scout might be carrying a, a bag of, you know, Chick-fil-A or a pizza because that could literally be it for you. Like they could see wow, that and yeah. cross you off the list and um, the margins are that thin. So there is uh, kind of a like you can't mess up mentality in the G League or whenever you're on the fringe. And uh, when you see that up close, you can't help but, but respect, um, you know, how hard that that grind is. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, one question I wanted to ask you, whenever uh, Mirren Fader, who's a friend of ours, she was on the show, she talked about how you have a certain book that you think you're writing. And then by the end of it, it's kind of changed drastically. I think this is a great example because this season that you that you shadowed the squadron, it ended up being the, the COVID year where so many guys got called up and teams were desperate for replacement players. Um, hey. I, I, so really, you were not only following uh, the squadron team, but really like one of the craziest seasons in G League history because there were more call-ups than ever before. Guys, a lot of guys ended up sticking in the NBA and kind of turning it into uh, a huge opportunity for themselves and, and they never went back to the G League. Um, how did the story change from when you first went into this and then when you actually like sat down to write it? Because I'd imagine there's a lot of things that differed from the beginning. For sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, just that entire um, piece of the story, which kind of becomes the the you know, core of it. Um, well, first of all, I have to give a, a massive shout out to Mira and she's been like so supportive of the book and she did a blurb for it. And, um, you know, I just like, I've always looked up to her, her writing is to me like as good as it gets. So, um, huge shout out to her. Um, yeah, I, I think to her point, like you go in with kind of a rough outline of what it could look like and you have goals of, um, you know, my goal pretty, broad was to capture what the G League was like and to write about that pursuit of the NBA and kind of chasing your dreams, which I knew would be, um, you know, a relatable thing for a lot of people, whether or not they're sports fans or, um, you know, just kind of chasing their own dreams. But I had no idea, of course, that like in the middle of the season, uh, Omicron would hit and then uh, it would become this kind of record-breaking gear for the G League. And that whole period becomes, you know, I'm running all over the place because I, I one, I I'm following the team, but I obviously am being very cautious. I don't want right. to potentially put anybody's like career uh, at risk because, you know, I got COVID or something. So it changes one, just like what the access is like, what, you know, how I'm navigating and, and trying to, um, you know, make sure I'm still capturing everything. Uh, it changes just like the, what is going on throughout the season. I mean, it, it becomes, um, you know, kind of guys going back and forth like crazy because in December, if you can think back to that time, like NBA teams were completely decimated. I mean, there were some yeah. that, you know, they basically were rolling out like G League lineups some nights. Right. Um, like half their so team was G League players. It was crazy. Our, I covered a game where, yeah, at one point I'm, I'm at the game, it was Hawks magic. And at one point there's five players on the court that are all on 10 day contracts that are called up. And I'm thinking like, this is literally, I, I watched these guys in the G League and now they're all in the NBA you know, yeah. playing in front of 15,000 people instead of a thousand, uh, you know, two weeks later. Yeah. So um, and it's the dream the whole, for those guys, but it's the weirdest circumstances to achieve that dream. <laughs> exactly. And it's, um, you know, it's a really, it's, it's an unfortunate thing for everybody, but also for me, for the book, like it, it, it added this entire new layer of drama and, um, you know, kind of, there was no guarantee that anybody I followed was going to get called up. Um, because that's that's kind of what happens in a typical G League season. But 
um, you know, this sort of changes everything. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, just to go back to Miran's point, like you can never, whether or not it was going to be Omicron or, you know, something else was going to happen, like you can never fully prepare for it. And, uh, you just have to be willing to adapt kind of on the fly and, um, you know, let the story really take you as opposed to going in, you know, just trying to write exactly the book that you set out to write, because if you do that, you know, you're not really sticking to, to what actually happened because it's never going to be, you know, the, the blueprint or the proposal that you initially made. For sure. I've always thought that the G League needs like either a documentary or like a reality show because it really is like the stakes are so high. To your point, there's so much pressure mm -hmm. and these guys are all chasing their dream. And there's so many interesting storylines on and off the floor. And it really is like a reality show. Like certain, a number of guys go in, only a certain number can go up and, and get an opportunity. And then every year in the G League, there's inevitably, you know, a couple guys, obviously there's usually like, you know, 70, 80 call-ups, but there's usually a couple guys that like hit and become the Patrick Beverly's right. of the world or the Jeremy Lin's of the world, where it's like, oh, this guy's now a notable name that people recognize. I think it, it's so perfect. I, I'm, I wonder if the NBA would ever look into doing something like that or if, if there would be some kind of documentary or, I mean, we could see life in the G spun hey, off <laughs> into a documentary series. Like let's, let's you know, I, 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 I think like it'd be it. very interesting. Yeah. What do you think of that? I'm, I think it's great, obviously. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, having, having gone through it, um, you know, there's so many times through the season where I'm just like, I wish I had a camera on me. And this is all just like made for TV uh, because, um, you know, I, it's the drama that you think unfolds, it, it's real. Like it, it's, there's a lot of emotional moments, you know, those moments when those guys get called up or, um, you know, screw up an opportunity or, uh, you know, all the things that we've spoken about throughout this interview, like that pressure, that stress, like you can feel that. And um, I think having a, a camera to capture those moments, I know that there was a, a documentary that came out um, on Amazon about, you know, it kind oh, of yeah. took a similar approach. Um, but I think like being with one team and, um, you know, getting to, to really know some of those guys on, on, you know, deeper levels and their, the book really explores their backgrounds and, um, you know, I, I really tried to get into, these are lifelong dreams. Like they're, they're really, uh, and they're one step away from something they've been chasing their entire lives and have all of these obstacles in front of them. Like it, it is, uh, made for TV or for a book <laughs> as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I kind of knew that, um, the story would be compelling in that way, but I think yeah. actually going through it, um, confirmed it and, and even, uh, made me realize, you know, more that, that this is a, a story that deserves a reality show, a docuseries, a, you know, anything. It just, uh, yeah, I feel passionately that it, it needs to be captured. So last question for you. I feel like, uh, I talk to first time writers a lot and I've, I've always wanted to write a book, but it just feels so daunting. Like that, the task of actually picking a, a topic, but then also sitting down to report it and write it what was the writing process like for you? And like, well, I mean, you mentioned that you were following them for six months. It kind of came together last minute, but then the actual process of writing it and putting it together from start to finish, what was that like for you? Uh, I mean, to torture in a way. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. And, um, you know, I think like I would say to, to you or to like anybody who's like wants to write a book, like this certainly did not deter me from writing books. Like I would love to, to write another one. Um, and I think anybody can do it because I think like 
it really is just trying to break it down as much as you can. And I know you've done a bunch of log form pieces and, um, you know, you, you've done the reporting and, and this is really just trying your best to, uh, you know, break it down into little pieces. And yeah, it's definitely um, like a mental thing. It totally. And just like chipping yeah. away. Like, I think that that was something I had to get used to, but like, you know, you outline everything out. Um, you know, I did hundred over a hundred interviews and stuff like that, but it's just, you just build it up, you know, you have more time. So you just kind of, uh, you know, break it into these chunks, but, um, it's, it's stressful. I mean, when you get down to, to, you know, you're getting close to that due date, uh, you're definitely in panic mode a little bit, especially this being my first one. But, um, you know, if you love to write and, um, you know, kind of, you fall in love with that process a little bit. And especially when you look back on it, um, and you kind of, uh, you have a different, you know, perspective and appreciation for it. And, um, yeah, I, I had a blast doing it. And, uh, like I said, I, I hope I can keep doing it because, um, yeah, definitely to have it now, it, it's incredibly rewarding. So. For sure. Well, I can't recommend this book enough. Everyone, make sure you guys check it out. Um, I'm going to put a link so in the description of this so people are under the tweet where you're watching this so you guys can, you know, order it. It's out now. Um, can you tell people where they can find the book too if, you know, if they don't want to use the link or anywhere else that they can go find it? For sure. I mean, the book is available pretty much everywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, University of Nebraska Press, and my publisher on their website. Um, yeah, and I just want to say thank you so much, man. This is like, to, to talk about the book is such a joy and talk about the G league. And like I said, I'm such a huge fan of your work. So this is uh, so cool for me. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. That means a lot. And I think it's, it's important to support books like this too, because when books like this do well, you get more of these behind the scenes stories. And I think it's a lot of the fans want these days. Like they want to see behind the scenes. They want this kind of access. So when, when these right. books, you know, are, are doing well, more of them come out and you get to go behind closed doors more often. So I'm always a huge uh, supporter of books like this. You know, I think you did a fantastic job with this book and uh, I'm excited to read your next one. Do you have an idea? I, not, I, if you're not committed to it yet, I don't want you to put it out there, but do you have <laughs> like an idea for a second book? I have some stuff that I'm like kicking around uh, for sure and, and trying to stay in the, the basketball world, but uh, not quite polished enough to, to put out there yet, but hopefully soon. hopefully soon. Well, congratulations, man. Uh, again, I know right. you mentioned how rewarding it is. It has to be so cool. The moment you picked that book up, what was that like the first time, you know, actually holding it in your hands? Um, man, I'd like, I can't even describe it. Like when that, when you <laughs> first get it, like just like almost fainted, it was, uh, it was my dream. So it, it, it definitely lived up to the hype when I finally saw it. That's awesome. Well, everyone, make sure you guys support Alex. Go ahead and order the book now. Did a fantastic job with it. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of this show, you can watch us on Twitter, YouTube. We air new episodes every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And until next time, thanks for watching.